one is where we are going to spend some time this morning. I just see here that I have a text from Scott Heath, so let me give you the latest on that. Uh, It says, Scott Jr. is worsening. I am taking him to urgent care for chest x-rays. I'm doing better, and Kelly's throat doesn't hurt as much today. Okay, so there's the latest from the Heath family. Uh, So Scott Jr. is the one who we probably should focus our prayers on this morning as well throughout the rest of the week. Okay, so 1 Peter chapter 1 is where we want to spend our time this morning. We're going back to this amazing chapter that we have been dealing with now for a couple of weeks. Um, Can I ask you, I want to start by a question. I'm going to need your help this morning. Uh, You've been helping me with the singing part. Now I'm going to need you to... Take, to give me some help here with some interaction this morning, okay? So, Ben, uh, don't get too settled, or maybe we can get somebody else that will run a mic around for us uh, this morning. We're going to need that. But have you ever had something so exciting, so wonderful, so amazing happen in your life that you couldn't wait to tell somebody about it? You're just like, oh, man, i got to tell somebody. I can't wait. I, and you just, it, was, it was just kind of overflowing in your life, just brimming out, and you wanted to tell somebody. Perhaps when you got engaged, you wanted to share that news uh, about the love of your life asking you to marry them. Or maybe it was when you got your first job. Oh, it's the job I've been waiting for. It's the job I've been longing for. Uh, Finally got it. You can pray for Micah in that regard. Um, He uh, had an interview this week. If I had to ask you, what kind of a, where, where do you think Micah would want to work? Anybody have any ideas? Something construction. Gun shop. shop. Paul nailed it, okay? So Micah had an interview at a gun store this past week, uh, and he's waiting to hear back from them. He said the interview went very well. Um, So I'm sure that when he hears from them, if he hears from them and is positive, he will let us know right away because he'll be excited to share, hey, I got this job at this gun shop, and I uh, gun. he wants to, he's going to work on the range, helping train people to shoot, all that kind of stuff. Fits him very well, by the way. Um, But anyway, I know he'll be excited to share that news. Uh, Perhaps is when you bought your first house. You know, that's a big deal in the life of people. You know, that opportunity where you have that, you know, you sign on the dotted line. I signed, signed about 100 times on the dotted line uh, to go through the whole process of buying that house. And then you say, hey, this is my house. I, I finally have the opportunity to buy a house, own a house, uh, and then all of those things that come with it as well. Right, Nick and Cindy? Uh, those kinds of things. Some are expected, some are not expected. But anyway, the, the privilege and, the, and just the joy that you have with home ownership. Okay, maybe it's some other major event in your life. Somebody have a, 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 just a brief story that you'd like to share about something that was so amazing you couldn't wait to tell somebody about it. Anybody? Come on, you guys don't live that boring lives, I'm sure. Okay, I remember how we were told about our firstborn grandchild. It was uh, with a box of donuts. Mommy doesn't want to get a big tummy. I don't think that's what she said, but anyway, mommy doesn't want to get a big tummy all by herself. Help us eat donuts and enjoy and celebrate the coming birth of our first grandchild. Cindy had her hand up over here. 
Amen. Cancer-free test results. That is a huge blessing, isn't it? I mean, you often see bumper stickers about beating cancer and that kind of stuff. Praise the Lord uh, for that uh, testimony. Someone else? Dave Thomas. When our daughter declared that she was a believer. When, when their daughter, Lisa, exclaimed that she was a believer, trusted Jesus Christ as her personal Savior. What a great joy that is. Can't beat that. Can't top that. Anyone else? Doug. All right, when he shot that nine-point buck that's hanging on his wall. You know, there's always a story behind the, the hunt, the successful hunt, okay? So uh, if you want to know the story behind Doug's successful hunt, I'm sure he'd be happy to tell you about it. Uh, maybe even someday he'll show you the nine-point buck that is hanging in his house, okay? We're all happy about that. Uh, mine, I don't know how many points my first buck had on it because I shot part of the antlers off when I shot the first time, so... Anyway, like I said, there's always a story behind the big shot. Something else? Anyone else? Cindy? And you know, hundreds of times have gotten answers Okay. Cindy says, all of the times that God has answered prayer with regard to uh, specific test results, health things, things like that. And I, can, I, can I add one to your list? Raymond's salvation, Raymond's proclamation that he also trusted Jesus Christ as his Savior? Okay, hopefully Ray will be... Yeah, we've been praying for Ray, uh, and so he's going to be discharged. He's going to go home pretty soon, so that's an answer to prayer. Anything else? All right, well, thank you for sharing those good news events, those stories that are always encouraging for others to hear. Um, Peter has that kind of news, uh, and so does the readers that Peter uh, was communicating with here in 1 Peter. The cool thing is that you and I share the same news that Peter and his readers share. Peter speaks of this amazing salvation in verses 10 through 12 of chapter 1. So as we shared some of the amazing life events that happen that make us excited, that make us joyful, that make us happy, um, I want to take some time. Sorry, Dave, I should have told you to stay standing with that microphone. Um, I want to ask some folks, and I didn't talk to anybody ahead of time because there's something about impromptu. You know, we had to give impromptu speeches in, in college. Um, but anyway, uh, impromptu testimonies. I would like to have some people share their salvation stories. They don't have to be great in length and depth and detail. Um, just uh, how you came to know Jesus as your Savior. Because you know what? Those are the most amazing stories. Those are stories that talk about a transformation that took place in our hearts, and it goes from the inside out, and it's not just a testimony that, okay, we have a new house till we sell it and get another house or build something new or whatever. It's, it's an eternal story. So, do I have some volunteers this morning to share their testimony of salvation? Steve Rofe, all right.
I grew up attending Bible Baptist Church of Cortland. And while I was there, uh, at the age of eight, we had an evangelist speaker come in. And um, the Holy Spirit uh, opened my understanding of my need that I was a sinner and I was lost and I needed salvation. And, and I accepted Christ as my Savior th- then. Uh, but it didn't end there. Later on, <clears throat> uh, I, needed, I needed to grow. And that church started an Awana program. And that Awana program was quite a ministry to me and, 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 and to my growth. And, and I was thankful that even uh, our church here at one point had, had an Awana program. And we were able to reach out to many young people. Um, so, uh, yeah, the Awana program was helpful in my, my spiritual growth. Thank you, Steve. Someone else? Share their testimony story. Dave Thomas. I found the Lord early in life. I accepted the Lord um, in vacation Bible school at Homer Baptist Church when I was just a young kid. But as I grew older, I turned into the typical prodigal son and kind of went my own way for many years. But as the Word of God teaches that um, the Lord will not let go of those he owns, and he didn't let go of me, and he brought me back years later, and here I am. All right. Vacation Bible School, a tool that God uses to bring many to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Someone else? Don't be shy. It's like family. Joseph. This is the first. We haven't heard Joseph's testimony yet, so um, put this in your memory banks because we're going to hear it again soon, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, probably. We are uh, supposed to tell our testimony to uh, some of the deacons this afternoon, which I don't know how many of them are here today. But uh, <laughs> um, So I wish I could say that I accepted Christ early on in life. Um, but uh, mine was probably only, what, six, seven years ago? Somewhere around there. Um, so it's been a relatively short time compared to most here. Um, so my story of salvation starts in the Army, where I spent years building myself up on a pedestal and doing everything myself, and uh, as I used to call Christians at that time, Bible-thumping idiots, would uh, occasionally come to me and, and try to witness to me, and I never accepted it, and I always dismissed it as, uh, you know, just myth and legend and things that didn't really make any sense and something that people clung on to uh, that didn't know any better. Um, but in building myself up and, and living with my wife through a series of, of different events, struggling through PTSD and a bunch of other uh, other things, God intervened in my life and, and rescued me from myself and from a life of sin and um, just brought me to a place of understanding and opened my eyes and allowed me to see the truth and allowed me to uh, come to a realization that I had been living my life wrong all of that time and leading it on my own, and uh, I clearly wasn't fit to do that. Um, so through other circumstances and him deciding that it was time for me to come to him, and um, he's been leading my life ever since and helping me to uh, lead my family and um, witness to them and help them to uh, grow up and live godly lives. So, Amen. Thanks, Joseph. Any others? 
Don't want to leave anybody out that wants to share the amazing work that God did in your life. Barb. And then Paul. Oh, you have something, somebody share something online? I have, I have two things from online. Um, Amanda wanted to share uh, the first question that when they were first married, Carl got a job that took them away from here. And, but then about six months later, he got his teaching job in Lafayette. So they were so thankful that they got to come back and come back to their home church. Um, and my cousin Lori, um, sorry, I just think it's so cool that she watches online. But um, she said she got saved at camp, and I remember because I'm the one who was her counselor and led her to the Lord. So that was really cool for me. Um, My personal uh, story of salvation was when I was just a tiny little girl. I was only four, but I remember it. And my mom asked me if, well, I was, listening, I was helping my mom standing on the chair in the kitchen washing dishes, and the radio was on, and it was kids' program, Christian radio. And there was a song, uh, The Happy Day Express, and it was about going to heaven and you needed Jesus. And my mom started talking to me and asked me about that, and I said I wanted to ask, I wanted to get saved. So we walked from the kitchen through the dining room where my brother had a train set. Trains must be a thing, I guess. And we had to walk over his train set, and we sat on the living room in the big brown couch. And she made sure I knew that I was a sinner. She said, have you ever sinned? Have you done something that Jesus didn't like? And and I had fought with my brother, so I knew I was a sinner. And um, I asked him to forgive my sin and prayed and received Christ as my Savior. I was only four, but I remember it very vividly. So praise the Lord for that. Amen. Paul's next. I'll stand up because I hate looking at somebody's back when they're talking. (laughs) Thanks, Paul. Oh, you're welcome. Well, if you want, I can, you know, just kind of shuffle to the corner there. You're fine. <laughs> but um, anyway, um, I'm going to go along with Dave here. I was saved rather young, and then uh, I did the straying aspect. I'm just going to make this a real short one today because um, there's a reason for that. But uh, God blessed me with this beautiful lady here 45 years ago, and uh, God gave me the wisdom to marry her. And um, I can say that somewhere in our aspect, uh, we were big motorcycle riders and all that, too. You know, we were enjoying life, fast boats, fast cars, fast motorcycles, you know, the routine. And uh, one day I came home, and Martha was rather upset. And I says, what's the matter, dear? And she says, "I, I feel that we're losing touch with God. We need to go back to church. And uh, we took that serious. Remember that, hon? We ended up going to a Baptist church in uh, Shark River Hills in Neptune, New Jersey. And we've gone back ever since then. And uh, I guess what I wanted to say today is that 
looking back over my whole life, especially the 45 years I've been married to this lovely lady, I can remember of many, many times where at no effort on my part where God has blessed us. He blessed us with children that all know Christ, and part of that's due to CCA by a large amount. Uh, he's taken us both through cancer now, grandchildren. And I guess what I really wanted to say today and what makes the biggest part in all our lives is that in the Bible it talks about praying constantly, incessantly, not stopping. And, you know, over the years, I used to spend a lot of time on the road. Now, I don't recommend closing your eyes while you're driving and praying because that will get you to meet Jesus a lot quicker. But what I do recommend is that in your thoughts, when you're talking to yourself, talk to God, too. Take a few minutes. You don't necessarily have to be on your knees to talk to, to our Lord. It can be a fleeting moment like, oh, Lord, help me with this or guide me here or open the door. And I can tell you that over the years, all through my life, I've prayed that prayer. I've prayed it over my children. I've prayed it over my wife. And I can tell you every day he leads me in a different direction. Am I perfect? No. Ask, ask Martha. <laughs> Not even close. But I love the Lord. He loves us. And I can't thank him enough for letting me be part of that chosen group of people that have accepted him as Christ my Savior. So God bless you all. And, and love to hear yours too. Thanks, Paul. Like I said, I don't want to cut anybody out. Is there anybody else that wants to share? All right, I have one more to share with you. Um, It's from a song on the radio. It's really been an encouraging song to me, uh, and it's really the testimony of a lady by the name of Ann Wilson. She put to music, uh, the title is called My Jesus. The words go like this. Are you past the point of weary? Is your burden weighing heavy? Is it all too much to carry? Let me tell you about my Jesus. Do you feel that empty feeling? Because shame's, shame's done all it's stealing, and you're, de- and you're desperate for some healing. Let me tell you about my Jesus. He makes a way when there ain't no way, raises up from the empty grave. Ain't no sinner that he can't save. Let me tell you about my Jesus. His love is strong and his grace is free. And the good news is I know that he can do for you what he's done for me. Let me tell you about my Jesus and let my Jesus change your life. Hallelujah, 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 amen. Who can wipe away the tears from broken dreams and wasted years and tell the past to disappear? Oh, let me tell you about my Jesus and all the wrong turns that you would go, that you would, you would go and undo if you could. Who can work it all for your good? Let me tell you about my Jesus. He makes a way when there isn't no way, rises up from the empty grave. There isn't no sinner that he can't save. Let me tell you about my Jesus. His love is strong and his grace is free. And the good news is I know that he can do for you what he's done for me. Let me tell you about my Jesus and let my Jesus change your life. Who can take my cross to Calvary, pay the price for all my guilt? Who would care that much about me? Let me tell you about my Jesus. You see, the important thing is that when Jesus changes your life, you then have a story to tell. 
You have a story to tell of what Jesus did in your life, how he took you from a sinner on your way to hell, separated from God for all of eternity, on the path to Christ-likeness. That's an amazing change, and that's the change that we're going to look at this morning as we look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 12. Somebody said to me this morning, Pastor, only seven blanks? I hope it's more than a 10-minute sermon. Well, here we go. Let's stand together. We're going to read verses 10 through 12. I think it's on the screen for us to read together. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 12. So great a salvation is what we're going to be looking at this morning. We've already heard some testimonies of the great salvation God has provided in the lives of many here this morning. But read with me, if you will. Of this salvation, the prophets who have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed, not to themselves, but to us they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. Let's ask God to bless our time together as we jump into the scriptures this morning. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. We thank you for the salvation that you have provided for us. We have heard this morning the testimonies of a number of individuals right here in this room that have come to know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. And once that happens, Father, we are reconciled to you. We were lost, we were hopeless, we were on our way to a Christless eternity in a place that you prepared for the devil and his angels, Um, and all those who refuse to call upon your name will spend eternity there as well. That's where everyone starts out, on their way to hell. But Father, you break into the lives of many, and you work in their hearts, and you bring them to a place where they realize that they are sinners, that they are hopeless and helpless and that they need Christ. They need to be reconciled to you. And so, Father, this morning we say thank you, those of us who have put our faith and trust in the work of Christ on the cross of Calvary, those of us that you have redeemed, we want to express to you our thankfulness for this great salvation that you have provided Father, there is nothing that we could do to make things right with you. In fact, we didn't even want to make things right with you. But through your Holy Spirit, you called us, you convicted us, you brought us into a place of understanding our sinfulness. And the only way to deal with that sinfulness was through Christ. And so thank you so much for this great salvation that we're going to look at this morning from the pen of the Apostle Peter. Bless our time in your word today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So we've learned about this salvation so far as we've been looking at 1 Peter chapter 1. Uh, in, this, in this study of Peter's first letter to the Jewish believers that are suffering persecution, he writes and he starts off by talking about salvation. Okay, Now, they wouldn't be persecuted if they weren't saved. 
Okay, so that's a good place to start. He talks about salvation. What have we learned so far in just the first nine verses about this salvation? Because he starts off by saying, of this salvation. So what is it about this salvation that we need to understand? Well, first of all, we see from the pen of Peter that this salvation is a salvation that God has chosen people to. People don't choose to be saved. God chooses people to save And we understand that truth because if God waited for us to choose to be saved, then guess what? None of us would be saved because we don't choose God. We don't choose to follow after God in our own accord. Uh, Isaiah is very clear. All we like sheep have done what? We've gone astray. We've turned everyone to their own way. So we're not seeking after God. We're not searching God. So God breaks into our world through his Holy Spirit. He calls us. He convicts us. He brings us to a place where we understand our need of salvation and that that salvation can only be given to us through the work of the Holy Spirit. We call this, we've talked about it now for a couple of weeks, we call this election. And we're so thankful for election because if God didn't choose us, then we know that nobody would come and nobody would experience this great salvation that Peter is talking about. The second thing that we know and we've learned so far from our study in First Peter about this salvation is that we see all three persons in the Godhead are involved in this amazing salvation. People often wonder, what's the Trinity all about? Well, you know what? The Trinity today is, uh, is involved in the salvation of every individual who comes to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. The triune Godhead, all three parts are at work. Peter reminds us that our salvation is based on the Father's foreknowledge, not on anything that I could do or you could do, but it's simply based on God's choosing. We also see from Peter that the Holy Spirit brings us to salvation and helps us to grow. Peter calls that sanctification. There's the initial act of sanctification where all of us come to know Christ as our Savior. And then there's the growing aspect of sanctification. And without the Spirit's work in our lives, none of that would be possible. And we're all looking forward to that last part of sanctification that we call glorification when we become just like our Savior Jesus Christ when we see him face to face. And then there's Jesus. Jesus is, it was his obedience to the death on the cross that God planned in eternity past in order to reconcile lost mankind. Jesus shed his blood on the cross of Calvary. And and scripture is very clear that without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission or there can be no forgiveness of our sins. So it's the shed blood of Jesus Christ that makes it possible for us to be reconciled. That blood of his son satisfied God's wrath, God's wrath and his just requirements. Without Jesus's blood being shed, there would be no salvation. So Jesus is involved in the salvation process as well. This amazing gift of salvation, simply put, is God saves us from our sin. He guarantees us an inheritance of eternal life and that it's all of God and none of me. My salvation is, is, has absolutely nothing to do with me, who I am, what I do, anything like that. My salvation is all of God. We also saw earlier on in our study here is that God's great mercy is the tool that caused us to be born again and to bring about this living hope in our lives. If it weren't for the mercy of God, God giving us or withholding from us what we so rightly deserve, 
God withheld from us the punishment, the separation from him that we deserve. In his mercy, he saved us from that. We see that our inheritance is incorruptible. Nothing can take the shine off of this inheritance because it's all of God and not of me. Not only is it incorruptible, but it's immaculate. It's imperishable. It's indestructible. Hallelujah. Nothing can touch my salvation. Not because of me, but because of God. And we see also our great salvation is kept secure by none other than our great God. The all-powerful creator of heaven and earth secures our salvation. I don't work to keep my salvation. I don't work to get my salvation. I work to show my salvation. And as I work, God is glorified in what I do. Again, giving him credit, giving him the the recognition for what he deserves. And then the last thing that we saw in our study so far about this amazing salvation is that it's brought about by faith and it always results, doesn't matter who gets saved, whether it's a, a seriously important person or just an average person that nobody really knows. Every individual who comes to know Jesus Christ as their Savior comes by faith and that salvation results in praise and honor and glory of our great God. In fact, you know what? Every individual that comes to know Jesus Christ as their Savior, you know what happens when every individual gets saved? There's a celebration in heaven. That's what makes the angels rejoice. When, when, when an individual hears the gospel, responds to the gospel, trusts Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, heaven has a praise party because somebody has been delivered from an eternity in hell and guaranteed presence with God for all of eternity in a place called heaven. What a great thought that is, that the angels rejoice over our salvation. You know, I've said before that the word awesome should be reserved for the things of God and things that relate to God. This is one of those things that we could genuinely call awesome. Our salvation is awesome. Let's take a look at this salvation from the pen of the Apostle Peter. First of all, we start off by thinking about and seeing here in our text the curiousness of salvation. The curiousness of salvation. We had our grandkids with us for Thursday night and fr- Thursday and Friday, um, and one of the things that they love is to be read to. Um, they'll bring a stack of books like this uh, from the bookshelf, and they'll say, "Read." Now, Grandma does most of the reading, but every now and then, Grandpa does some reading as well. And I heard Josiah sitting on the couch listening to Grandma read the the some from that famous series, Curious George. Okay. What's Curious George known for? He always wants to figure out what's going on. He always has questions. He always has to get the, the, the answers to the things that he's wondering about. Curiosity. Our salvation causes curiosity amongst different groups of people. First of all, we see here in our text this morning that it's the prophet's that were curious about our salvation. They, in fact, researched this salvation. How many people have had to write research papers before? Aren't they just the best thing to do? Just like having your teeth done. In other words, no! 
Nobody wants to write research papers. I didn't like writing papers in college. We had this one professor that he was, you know, you thought that the more you wrote, the better off you would be when you wrote a paper, right? Doc Carter was not that way. Every class, Doc Carter took attendance by saying, I want you to write a a summary of what you learned in class today, 25 words or less. That was the way he took attendance. And, and he counted the words. If you were more than 25 words, he threw the paper in the garbage. He didn't get credit for being in, school, in class that day. 25 words or less. When you wrote a paper for Doc Carter, one page. He said, if you can't tell me what I need to know in one page, then I don't want to read it. Okay? Most times, though, people, people, teachers say, you've got to have a 10-page term paper. Really? Ten pages? You're trying to figure out how many times you can use the and uh and but and all. You know, ten pages. That's a lot of people. You've got to put a lot of research in to get ten pages. Okay? Um, the prophets researched this salvation. They, they, they did a lot of work. They tried to figure it out. They wanted to understand the details of salvation. Now, we talk about details. The prophets record a lot about our salvation, but they didn't know the details as they recorded about our salvation, as they wrote about our salvation. Peter speaks of how these Old Testament prophets saw our salvation. First of all, he says, they inquired of our salvation there in verse 10. Now, the idea here of inquiring means to seek earnestly. They are investigating salvation. And this investigation by the prophets, it wasn't just a surface investigation. It was an in-depth investigation. The very words used by Peter here tell us that the inquiry was very detailed. It was very in-depth. There was an eager or an earnest desire to learn as much as humanly possible about this salvation that God has provided. The thing is, they prophesied it. They predicted it. But they didn't really understand it. In fact, it wasn't really possible for them to understand it. They didn't have enough revelation to be able to figure out what God was doing in this thing called salvation. That's where the faith of individuals comes into play. We have to really admire the faith of a guy like Job. You know, in Job 19.25, Job said this, but as for me, I know that my Redeemer lives, and he will stand again on the earth. How does Job even know what it means to be redeemed? How does even Job know uh, so much about this idea of sin and salvation and the fact that he needed a Redeemer? But he said, I know my Redeemer lives, and on the earth again he will stand. You know what? Can we echo those words of Job this morning? I know that my Redeemer lives. I do. My Redeemer lives. And you know what? I I can say that because I can look back at the death of Christ on the cross and see that Jesus, God's Son, died on the cross to purchase my redemption. I can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus died on the cross. It's a historical record. There's no doubt. Job knew nothing about that. And yet he says, My Redeemer lives. We see that our Redeemer died and rose again, and we say, I know that my Redeemer lives. He had amazing faith. 
He demonstrated that his trust was in the Lord and that God would deliver him not only in a physical sense, but God would deliver him in a spiritual sense as well as he chose. That's why he talked about a redeemer. Job must have studied as much as he had available at his disposal to figure out who the redeemer was. The prophets searched about our salvation. In other words, they made, a, they, made, they made careful inquiry. Again, we have the idea of putting the work in to make sure the conclusions can be accurately drawn. It's, it, this word searched is the Greek word exoneruno. Okay? Now, we kind of get an idea of what we're going for here because it sounds a lot like our word examine. Examine. It's kind of like, um, you know, when you go to the doctor and the doctor does an examination, you don't want him to just, you know, kind of, well, here's an example. We went to a dentist in Cortland and I told him, look, I have a, I have a, an ache in one of my tooth, one of my teeth. It hurts. So they did all the cleaning and all that kind of stuff. And I said, it's, it, you haven't found it. It's this tooth right here. I took my finger and stuck, the, stuck it on top of it. I said, is that tooth right there? And he looks at it and he pokes around a little bit and he says, you want me to fill it? I said, you're the dentist. If there's a cavity, you should know what to do with it. But do you want me to fill it? I said, if that's what it needs, then yes, fill it. Finally, I talked him into filling it. I did. But then that never went back to him. Okay, that's not the kind of exam that you want. That's not the kind of exam that the prophets were doing here. Uh, instead, they did a thorough examination. When I went to the new dentist, the hygienist went in there. She cleaned my teeth. She made these different comments about my teeth. And then she said, okay, now let's go over. We're going to do some x-rays. Okay, they did a full thing of x-rays and they said, okay, now look, here's where, you're, here's where you have cavities. And she showed me on a little chart of your mouth all the, and she says, you got one there and you got one there. And I don't know how many there were, three or four of them. And I said, boy, my last dentist didn't find those. Well, they're there. Okay, they're there. And so they did a thorough examination. They found out what needed to be done. You see, the purpose of an examination is to discover the facts and the truths about something. The prophets put their work in and they proclaimed the truth that God called them to speak. And then they tried to figure out exactly what God was saying and when it would come to pass. You see, they were writing about things that were going to happen years and years and years down the road. And yet it still meant something to them and to the people they were writing to. I really like what MacArthur says about the research of the the prophets. He says, They were God's Old Testament spokesmen who prophesied of the grace that would come. They then pursued the meaning of their own prophetic writings to know all they could about God's promised salvation. Of all the truth the prophets received through divine revelation, the truth of salvation was their greatest passion. From Moses to Malachi, all the Old Testament prophets were fascinated by the promise of salvation. They couldn't study it enough. They couldn't try to figure it out enough. It consumed them. 
is really what MacArthur is saying here. So we see that they did all the research. We also see some things that were revealed through the prophets. Now, although the prophets did not know, uh, know completely about this wonderful salvation, they didn't understand it completely, they were the ones that revealed the amazing truth of salvation in the writings of the Jewish scriptures. In the Old Testament books, they talked extensively about our salvation. Now, when we stop and think about it, the Old Testament prophets communicated in advance the coming of the Messiah, the fact of his atoning death, his resurrection from the dead, and his glorious ascension into glory. I love it when the Apostle Paul writes to young Timothy about the Old Testament scriptures. You know what he says there in 2 Timothy chapter 3? A very familiar passage of scripture. We especially go to verse 16 when we talk about inspiration. But there's more to understand. Let's back up to verse 14 and read through verse 16 of 2 Timothy chapter 3. Paul says this, But as for you, Timothy... Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from a childhood you have been acquainted with these sacred writings. Do you know what the sacred writings were? Genesis through Malachi. That's what the sacred writings were. Not the New Testament, because Timothy didn't have access to that. It was still being written. He says, you are acquainted with the sacred writings, get this, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Wow. That's the Old Testament. The Old Testament can make you wise to salvation. You know, so often people that are not grounded in scriptures are ready to throw the Old Testament out. Oh, that was for the Jews. It's not necessary for us today. It is very necessary for us today. It provides the foundation on which the New Testament is built. So Paul goes on to say, it's, it's what brings us salvation. And then he says, all scripture, and again, talking about the Old Testament primarily, is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That's the Old Testament. It's true that God revealed this amazing salvation in the, in the Christian scriptures or the New Testament for us, but he started it all in the Old Testament. John MacArthur again gives us some good insight. He says, this text shows that the Old Testament clearly gives the wisdom that leads to salvation. From Genesis through Malachi, that God and his gracious offer of forgiveness and redemption from sin for those who trust in him and not themselves and seek his great mercy. Wow. God has provided for us this amazing salvation and is found in the pages of the Old Testament. How do we know that? Well, let's just take a look at a few places where the, the gospel was revealed in the Old Testament. Isaiah 53, verses 5 through 7, we read this. But he was wounded for our transgressions. Who's the he there? He is Jesus. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. Isaiah goes on to say, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. 
He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before his shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. You know what we're talking about there? We're talking about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ written from the pen of the prophet Isaiah hundreds of years before Jesus even took on flesh. But it sounds exactly what happened in his crucifixion. He goes on in Isaiah chapter 50, verse 6, another account of the gospel in the Old Testament. I gave my back to those who struck me and my cheeks to those who plucked out the beard. I did not hide my face from shame and spitting. Again, a very clear picture of what happened to Jesus the Messiah when he was being crucified. No, Isaiah had no way of knowing that. Except that as a prophet of God, God revealed this to him. He wrote it down for what? For our benefit. Talking about our salvation. The psalmist records a lot about the crucifixion and the salvation that is to be revealed in the New Testament. A very, a very clear messianic psalm, Psalms 22, talks about the death of Jesus. Almost a perfect picture of a Roman crucifixion hundreds and hundreds of years before Rome even came to power. They, there was no idea of a crucifixion when David wrote these words. He said, I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It has melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. When the, when the Jewish people read this, it was like, what are you talking about? Pierced your hands and feet. That is a very picture of what happened at the crucifixion of Jesus Christ from David, who had no idea what was going to happen. And yet he clearly and accurately portrays the gospel account of the death of of Christ on the cross of Calvary. The prophet Zechariah in Zechariah 12.10 writes this, And I will pour on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one who grieves for his firstborn. Pierced. They will look on me whom they have pierced. Again, the Jewish people wonder, what is Zechariah talking about? Having pierced somebody didn't make any sense to them. But now when we look back and we see, yes, Zechariah was completely talking about Jesus' piercing, the firstborn of God. Jesus is God's firstborn, only begotten son. Exactly what Zechariah is talking about. There are plenty of more verses that we could look at um, that talk about the coming and the purpose of Jesus Christ. All of these fulfilled prophecies should give you and I great confidence in the plan of God to bring salvation to mankind. The salvation that we're talking about here from the pen of the Apostle Peter was revealed first in the Old Testament. As we get to verse 12, we see salvation's completeness. Notice the tense in this verse. Let me read part of it to you. It says, To them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached 
the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Peter is speaking in the past tense here. It's an indication that the work of salvation is complete. It's done. When Jesus hung on the cross and he said, it is finished, he was talking about the salvation that he would make available to mankind. The work of salvation is done through the cross of Christ on Calvary. You and I benefit from that work of salvation. Peter goes on to talk about those that received the gospel here in verse 12. See that Peter told his readers that the Old Testament prophets were not writing to themselves, but they were writing to us. Peter and his readers, and to you and I who would read the words of Peter down through the church age, we are the ones who have received the gospel because the gospel work was completed through Christ. The Bible Knowledge Commentary makes an insightful comment regarding Peter's statement that the ministry of the prophets was not just for the Israelites. It says this, Peter gave further encouragement, stating that the prophets understood they were not writing for themselves, but those who would live later and those who would hear the gospel proclaimed by the Holy Spirit and consequently follow Christ. Who's received the gospel? Only those who lived after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The gospel would make no sense to anybody prior to that time. They wouldn't know anything about it. The good news is that God sent a Savior from heaven, His Son, to die on the cross to pay for my sins and for your sins. And if you accept His work on the cross of Calvary, you can live forever and a right relationship with God through that atoning work on the cross of Calvary. We spent time this morning as we started the sermon taking uh, volunteers' testimonies. They shared what God did in their life, how God brought them to a saving knowledge of who he is. Can, Can we agree on this, that the gospel is still going out? The gospel is still being presented, and people are still hearing and responding to the good news. I'm so thankful that the gospel is still working today. The gospel is still being revealed, sometimes for the first time. You know, when we first went to Africa, we had the opportunity to share the gospel with people who not heard the gospel before. That was something new to us. Because growing up in America, you know, we were a religious country. People knew the Bible. They heard Bible verses. They heard, you know, it wasn't uncommon for people to talk about it in school and even on the news. I mean, even TV shows talked about the gospel. We're living in a post-Christian world here in America. It's not so strange to talk to people in America today who have not heard the gospel. It's sad, but it's certainly not uncommon. So as we think about that, the gospel still needs to be presented. People still need to hear it. We can't take it for granted that people have heard the gospel before. So those who have received the gospel, let me just take a few minutes. I know we've gone past time, but it's, I'm going to say it's your fault, not mine, because you, you talked this morning more than I have. But anyway, anyway, the reason the gospel still saves, can we talk about that just for a moment? Peter says, those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit. You see, the effectiveness, and Karen, I, I, I'm sure that your concerns of a 10-minute sermon are all gone now, right? Okay. Um, the effectiveness of the gospel has always been because of the Holy Spirit. 
We, we've talked about the work of the Holy Spirit here at Calvary Baptist Church because we think it's important. We need to understand that the Holy Spirit is still alive, still active, still working, not relegated to some non-talked-about person of the Godhead. The Holy Spirit is alive and well and at work in the world today. And through his people, his children, those he's called to be part of the family of God. The Spirit is the one that brings conviction to lost mankind. The Spirit is the one that quickens the heart and the mind of the unbeliever. It is the Spirit of God that places the believer into the body of Christ. It is the Spirit that causes us to grow, that encourages us to communicate the good news to others, and then starts the work of salvation all over again in the heart and life of another, so that process can go on and on and on and on, until the trumpet sounds and God takes us home. The gospel is still relevant today, still works today, still is effective today, not because of you, not because of me, not because of all the other missionaries that we have sent out all over the world, not because of the church doors that are open in America and every place else in the world. The gospel is effective because the Holy Spirit makes it effective. The Holy Spirit brings conviction. The Holy Spirit brings a person to an understanding of, hey, I'm a sinner. I need Jesus. I need to be saved. So you and I have the responsibility of communicating the good news so that the Holy Spirit will have that to use in the lives of others. It's easy to see that Peter emphasizes the Holy Spirit. Peter knew well the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Who was it that preached? Well, who was it that on the day of Pentecost was filled with the Holy Spirit? First time ever in the, in the church age. Permanently filled. A guy by the name of Peter and the other apostles. Who was it who preached on the day of Pentecost under the power and influence of the Holy Spirit? The Spirit came upon them and, they, and filled the rest of the apostles and they spoke in different tongues. And that's not jibber-jabberish. That was the gospel message going forth in established languages, known languages of the day, to the hundreds of people who had come, thousands of people who had come to Pentecost because it was a Jewish feast day. They didn't speak the language that, uh, of, of uh, Greek where they would hear it proclaimed in one tongue they came from all other parts of the world and they needed to hear the gospel in their own language so the holy spirit gave the the ability to the apostles to speak in a different language they didn't study the language they didn't know the language they didn't maybe even know what they were saying the holy spirit was empowering them to give the gospel out so others would hear it and respond and get saved and then take the gospel back with them where they came from i got to tell you, this is exciting. This is our great salvation that God has made available to us. The Holy Spirit was sent from heaven. Remember what Jesus said to to the apostles? I must needs go from here and back to heaven so I can send the comforter. He went, he sent He kept his promise, and the Holy Spirit is here now. He fills us, he guides us, he directs us, he helps us share the gospel so that others can still come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. We'll close with this thought, that the angels are always reviewing the gospel. 
The last phrase in verse 12 is, things which the angels desire to look into. What a statement. You see, our salvation, this great salvation, this awesome work that God and God alone has done in our lives, the angels look at it. Yes, they rejoice every time a person gets saved, but you know what? They look into this thing of salvation because they don't understand it. You, under, you know that there are, there are lost angels and there are good angels. A lost angel can never be saved, can never be redeemed, can never be reconciled. It is sad. But the good angels, they don't understand. Why is it that way? Why is it that God would save humans? They try to figure it out. They try to understand it. Our salvation is so great. It's so awesome that they keep looking into it. They are genuinely curious about this amazing salvation. Listen to this explanation. Angels have a strong desire or an overpowering impulse that is not easily satisfied. Their interest in salvation is not merely whimsical or incidental curiosity, but a strong passion with them. They want to get down close and look deeply into the matters related to salvation. They have a holy curiosity to understand the kind of grace they will never experience. The holy angels do not need to be saved, and the fallen angels cannot be saved, but the holy ones seek to understand salvation so that they might glorify God more fully, which is their primary reason for existence. You know, that's why they celebrate. That's why the angels rejoice when a person comes to know Jesus as their Savior. The curiosity of the angels is another proof of just how amazing our salvation is. So as we started this morning, we shared the title of the message, So Great a Salvation. This is an awesome passage of scripture, a passage that reminds us that as our salvation, we we understand it, we experience it, we know it, we communicate it to others. This is, our salvation is beyond our, our, our total understanding, but we glory in it. We are so thankful for it. John Piper sums up this passage this way. He says, so the main point of this paragraph First Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 12, is that we should be amazed at the greatness of our salvation and that this greatness is shown by the fact that the prophets of God and the angels of heaven long to look in it. So let's close with this thought this morning. Our salvation is so great that if you are here this morning and you've never asked Jesus Christ to be your savior, you are missing out on the greatest thing ever made available to you. That's the salvation of your soul, that which spares you from an eternity separated from God in hell. If you're here this morning and you don't remember a time in your life where you personally bowed your head and bowed your heart before Almighty God and confessed that you're a sinner, said, God, yes, I understand that I am a sinner. I know that I deserve separation from you in a place called hell. Or if you're watching online and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, Can I tell you this? If you don't remember a time doing it where you confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, then you need to do that. You need to confess Jesus as Lord. What what does Romans tell us? That confession is made by the mouth. And that when one makes a confession of Lord and Savior, that that is what brings them to the realization of the work of salvation in their life. Is there a point when you remember doing that? Barb said this morning when she was four years old. 
For me, I don't remember the age. I remember the event. It was on a Sunday morning after, after church. My mom and I sat in a big green chair. And I said, Mom, Mrs. White said such and such in Sunday school class. I don't understand it. My mom explained it to me. And I asked Jesus on that day to be my Savior. Others have shared that experience this morning. If there's not a time in your life that you remember when you asked Jesus Christ to be your Savior, if you, have, if you can't remember confessing Jesus Christ as your Lord, then I would implore you today to do that. Let today be the day of your salvation. I'd love to help you do that. Somebody else, there's lots of others in this room that can help you do that. So if you haven't done that, please let today be the day that you are able to call Jesus my Jesus, my Savior, my Lord. If you're here this morning and you have asked Jesus Christ to be your Savior, can I encourage you not to just let him be your Savior, but let him be your Lord. Let him be the one who governs your life, who leads your life, who directs your life, who you seek out through the pages of Scripture to find out more and understand exactly what it is that God wants to do in and through you. Making Jesus the Lord of your life is the natural next step in salvation. Some people do that very early on in their salva- after their salvation. Others, it takes a while to relinquish control of your life. You have to come to a point where you understand that God can do it so much better than you can. And and his Holy Spirit will lead you and direct you and, and he doesn't make any mistakes. So if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ as your Savior, let today be the day that you make that decision. If you're here this morning and you know Christ as your Savior, then let today be the day that you decide, hey, I want to take the next step. I want to do the next right thing. For some, that might be baptism. For some, that might be say, hey, I've been just kind of coasting. I haven't really been doing much in the church. I want to be involved in the ministry of the church. I want to do something that makes my life count for eternity. Salvation. It's an amazing thing. Something that God has given to us. And we should give ourselves back to him in service as a result. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and we thank you so very much for this amazing salvation. Salvation that you have provided for us, that you have given to us, that you made available to lost mankind. Father, we know that it wouldn't be possible for us to be saved if you didn't call us, if you didn't lead us, if you didn't bring us into your family. So we're thankful for that work of the Holy Spirit that brings us to salvation. We're thankful that the Holy Spirit continues to work in our lives, helps us to become more and more like our Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, for this great gift of salvation. I pray this morning, if there's somebody here that doesn't know Jesus as their Savior, that today would be the day. If there's not been a point in their life where they remember bowing their head and their heart before God and confessing Jesus Christ as Lord, that today would be that day where they do just that. For those of us who know Jesus as our Savior, Father, help us to allow you to be the Lord of our lives. Having complete control of what we do and say, where we go, the things we think, helping us to become more like Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen.